for those of you that are listening to this on um, online or DVD or whatever, you have to look real close at your computer or DVD player and see that I'm holding an umbrella and a towel and wearing a raincoat. And I will ask you this. If you were leaving your house and you knew for certain that it was going to rain, if you could only choose one of these, which one would you choose? Here's some things. Before you decide, here's some things to, to ponder about this. An umbrella can keep the, the elements away from you completely. You're just completely covered and you're just okay. A raincoat, on the other hand, can keep the rain off of your clothes. You're still in the elements, but you have at least the rain off of your clothes. And a towel would be helpful that if some of the rain happened to pass through whatever you were using to keep it away, the towel would help you to dry off. So all three of these can have a purpose during a rainstorm or maybe after a rainstorm. They also symbolize different ways that, that Jesus helps, to, helps us to weather the storms of our lives. And we'll get into that in just a little bit as we continue our study. A mountain climber once said this, the awesomeness of the last parts of a climb would not have been so awesome if they were not the culmination of what I had seen in the early miles of hiking up the valleys below. Let me read that one more time. The awesomeness of the last parts of the climb would not have been so awesome if it were not for the culmination of what I had seen in the early miles of hiking up the valleys below. Now, I will tell you this morning that I have never climbed a mountain. I don't do heights very well. But I can say from experiences in my life that sometimes it takes the things that we experience in our valleys to appreciate when we do finally get to the mountain. I believe sometimes it takes the experiences on the mountain so that we can appreciate and make it through the valleys sometimes. In Hebrews 13 and 5, the Apostle Paul wrote this. He said, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. That means no matter where we are, in the mountain, top, or whether we're in the valley, God has promised that he will be there with us. And if you look at the Apostle Paul's life, you see that he certainly was a person that had more than his share of mountaintop experiences and valley experiences. This is a man that built churches all through the southern part of Europe, of what we know now as Europe. And he had all these miraculous things happen. But it's also a man that spent a lot of time in a prison cell, chained to a wall. He'd been shipwrecked. So many things that happened to him that were good, but there were a lot of things that happened to him that just weren't that great. So in, in Hebrews 13 and 5, I believe Paul was saying, one thing I know for certain is that God is there, Wherever I might be at any point in my life, wherever I might be at any point in my journey, he will never leave me or forsake me. Today we're going to continue on our study in the book of Matthew. Now I want to start by reading Matthew 17, verses 1 through 3. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And there he was transfigured before them. 
His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. The events that we just read about in this passage in Matthew happens just a few days after Jesus had told his disciples about his upcoming execution and his resurrection. And if you read back to that time when Jesus told them, this was our lesson last week that Brother Magine taught, and I want to thank him for helping me last week. I was not feeling well at all, and um, he filled right in and did a wonderful job, and I thank him for that. But if you look back to that time, you will see that Peter was quite disturbed by Jesus's proclamation that he was going to be executed and then resurrected. In the 16th chapter of Matthew, after Jesus told his disciples that, that he was going to be executed, Peter takes Jesus aside and says, Never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. You know, Jesus, come over here and let's talk. We're not going to let that happen. You see, Peter didn't get it. Jesus was saying, that's why I'm here. I'm here for that very thing. I'm here so I can be executed. I'm here so that I can be resurrected. And Peter, get your arm from around me. That's what's going to happen. Kind of what he said. But in spite of all of that, Jesus was trying to prepare his disciples for this inevitable event. He knew that there were going to be hard times that were going to come once he was gone mainly because they didn't have him to lean on all the time. And I believe that the events of chapter 17 of Matthew that we just read, this spectacular transformation, transfiguration along with seeing Moses and Elijah and hearing the voice of the Lord, I believe it fits into the category of mission preparation. And that's what he was doing. Now he had done this at other times, choosing just three of his disciples, and it was always these same three. It was Peter, James, and John. These three men had been in the fishing business together before they started following Jesus. It was these three men, Peter, James, and John, that went into the home of Jairus and watched Jesus raise this man's daughter from the dead. And then we see it's these three men that go up on the mountain with Jesus. And then later on, not long after this event, we see that it was Peter, James, and John that Jesus took to the Garden of Gethsemane with him to pray. And by reading those things, it would seem to indicate that these three men were kind of a, an inner circle of Jesus' disciples. And there, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, some people would look at that passage of Scripture and say, well, Jesus was being shown favorites. That's not what it was. Even today in, in effective organizations, whether it be a business, whether it be a ministry, it's not uncommon to have that kind of relationship structure where the person that's at the top has this small group of close associates that he has maybe more trust than he has in the rest. And I believe that's what Jesus had with Peter, James, and John. This was his closest of closest friends. This was his inner circle that went with him on the hard stuff. And it was not an act of favoritism. It was more of a, an expression of a different level of trust that Jesus, Peter, James, and John than for the rest of the disciples. So we see in verse 2 it says that the transfiguration happened right there before them. Here they are on top of this mountain, and all of a sudden Jesus starts glowing, which would have to be a little scary. 
And if that wasn't enough, they look up and they see Moses and Elijah. That would be a little scary too. Moses and Elijah played a big part in Jewish history. There's a story about a little girl who wasn't eating her dinner, and her mom said, why aren't you eating your dinner? She said, God told me not to. Really? Are you sure God would, told you not to eat your dinner? Well, maybe it was Moses. <laughs> they were all there together. So we see that these disciples experience this amazing transfiguration of Jesus. The, they get a glimpse of Jesus' pre-incarnate glory, and they get this, after, this glimpse of His glory afterwards. They've known Jesus for several years now. They've traveled with Him. They know that He eats and drinks and sleeps and He gets tired. But now they're seeing something they've never seen. They're seeing this glow come from Him. And Matthew wrote that Jesus' face shone like the sun. There's been some Bible scholars that have equated the glow of Jesus to that of a, a lampshade when the light bulb is turned on inside. You don't see the light, it just makes the whole thing glow. And I believe that's kind of what they experienced. All of a sudden, it was like some, somebody turned a light bulb inside Jesus and he just started glowing. And then, if that wasn't enough, we see Moses and Elijah appear. Many Bible scholars have speculated that Moses and Elijah symbolically represented the law, because the law was from Moses, and the prophets, because Elijah was a prophet, and that with Jesus being there with the two of them, it represented the fulfillment of both, because he came to fulfill the law and the prophecies. So here's the three symbolic people here. Then we get to Matthew 17, verses 4 through 8. My friend Peter. He says to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. That's an important little phrase right there. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Oh, boy. Here we see Peter. Another one of Peter's ADD moments. He doesn't think about it, what he's saying. He just blurts out, this is great up here. This mountaintop stuff is really cool. Why don't we just build three shelters? One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I don't always say it was an ADD moment for Peter because Peter was known to be very impulsive in his speech. Kind of like the example, the scripture we read a little bit earlier where he rebuked Jesus for saying he was going to be crucified. He just wasn't thinking it through. And once again, in this passage that we just read, Peter lives up to his reputation. So Peter, as this self-appointed spokesperson for the other two, Peter suggests that since we like it up here, that we'll build a shelter and we can come back and maybe vacation here. This is kind of cool. We'll build a shelter for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and we'll have just a permanent place up here. 
His, his line of thinking when he was saying this, I, th- I believe he was doing some thinking, was probably along the lines of, of a Jewish festival called the, the Feast of Tabernacles. During the Feast of Tabernacles, the Jewish people would build these little booths or shelters, and they would live in them for seven days. And it was a representation of the children of Israel's time as they were in the wilderness. And so Peter was thinking, well, you know, on the, the Feast of Feast of Tabernacles, we build these little booths, and it symbolizes something. So we'll build something like that for you and Moses and Elijah. But the one thing that I really like in this is the first thing Peter said to Jesus. Lord, it is good for us to be here. I kind of like it up here on the mountain. And since I'll kind of like it up here, Jesus, why don't we just stay here? After all, if we build these little places, we can stay around and we, we can get around away from all of those people down at the bottom of the mountain that don't really like us much. Plus, you said yourself that those people are going to kill you. I kind of like it here on the mountain. Jesus, it's good for us to be on the mountaintop. Let's just stay. We see that even though there were three people, there was only one person that was transfigured, and that was Jesus. Moses and Elijah just kind of appeared. Jesus' specific purpose was to be transfigured. They could see that he had something more than just flesh and blood. So while Peter is still kind of babbling on about building these little shelters, something even more spectacular takes place. It's a rebuke from God himself. A voice from heaven speaks to Peter. Part of the reason for the rebuke that follows Peter's kind of outburst may be based in part that by saying we'll build a place for you, a place for Moses, and a place for Elijah, he was kind of placing all three of them as equal. It was as if Peter really didn't realize who Jesus was. Even though he had professed it that you are the Christ, now when he sees Moses and Elijah, he's so starstruck by Moses and Elijah that he just puts Jesus right into category with two men. He just didn't get it. And I believe that's why God spoke these words so that Peter would get it. And his voice says, this is my son whom I love. And with him I am well pleased. Peter, listen to him. If you look back in the Old Testament, you see many times that there was a a cloud, a bright cloud that enveloped people when the presence of the Lord came. And I believe this is the same thing that it symbolizes here. And this affirmation from God is almost word for word the same words that when Jesus was baptized. This is my son with whom I am well pleased with one little thing added on the end and that is listen to him. Peter, stop babbling and listen to Jesus. Now Peter, James, and John, much like happened we saw in the Old Testament with Daniel and Isaiah, When men of God experience 
the presence of God, they fall to the ground and they're just completely spent and they're afraid. They don't even want to look up. I believe that Peter, James, and John were down on the ground and they saw this. That was kind of spectacular, the whole Jesus glowing thing. Moses and Elijah, that was really cool too. But that voice from heaven, that was enough. We're getting down on the ground. That was God. When Jesus saw this, it says that Jesus came over to them and he touched them and he said, Get up. You don't have to be afraid. Come on, get up. And I believe what he was saying by get up, you don't be afraid, is that this mountaintop experience is over. Now we've got some real work to do. Enjoy it while you can, because we're fixing to go down the mountain. Matthew 17, verses 9 through 13. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, Why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus said, To be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. This is the fifth time in the book of Matthew that Jesus tells his disciples to be silent about what they've seen. Specifically as those details relate to Jesus being the Messiah. And I believe there was a number of reasons. One of the reasons was that it was possible that they went out and told everybody what they just saw. It would stir up some misdirected uh, political affirmations proclaiming Jesus to be a conquering Messiah. Remember, that's what the people were looking for. They weren't looking for this suffering king. They were looking for a conquering king. And if Peter and James and John went out and started telling people, you're not going to believe this. We went to the top of the mountain. This guy glowed. And then Moses and Elijah appeared with him. Everybody would say, he is the Messiah. And he's going to kick the Romans out of this country. And he's going to set up this kingdom, and he's going to be king, and we're going to be free, and everything's going to be great here on earth. But that's not what Jesus wanted. He didn't want them to think along those lines. In fact, he knew that the direct proof that he truly was the Messiah was not what Peter, James, and John just saw, but the direct proof that he is the Messiah was that he would be crucified, he would be put into a grave, and three days later he would be raised from the dead. That would be the proof that he was the Messiah. Because he was coming as a suffering king, not as a conquering king. So he told the disciples, just keep it to yourselves. And then once I've been crucified and I raised from the dead, then you can go back and tell everybody else, which obviously they did, because Matthew wrote about it, Mark wrote about it, and they weren't there. But then the disciples seemed to be a little confused. 
when he brought up this whole thing about the resurrection again. In fact, Mark wrote this same story, recorded it in the Gospel of Mark. In Mark 9 and 10, it really brings to light what they didn't understand. Here's what Mark said. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. I don't think I'd ever read that before. Jesus told them, keep it to yourselves until after I rise from the dead. And they go off and go, okay. He told us to keep this to ourselves until he rises from the dead, whatever that is. What do you think? I don't know. Well, I'm not getting this. He keeps talking about this rising from the dead. He's not dead. And their confusion just got a little bit worse, and they had a lot of questions. If Jesus was the Messiah, how could he die before Elijah came? Because Jewish people believed that Elijah was to restore all things before the Messiah came. And then they thought, well, he was at this transfiguration thing we just saw up on the mountain. We saw Moses and Elijah. So maybe that was the coming of Elijah. Was this the appearance of Elijah that they had come to expect? Part of the problem here was this. If you remember back in the Old Testament, Elijah was such a godly man that he never did die. He was caught up. And the Jews believed that Elijah was going to come back in a physical form. And that the prophecies that Elijah will restore all things, that Elijah, since he never died, he would just come back one day and he would restore all those things before the Messiah came. In fact, even today, the very, very hardcore Jewish people at many of the festivals will have an empty chair and a place setting for Elijah. And you've seen it when you were in Jerusalem. How amazing is that? So this is part of the confusion with Peter, James, and John is they'd been taught all their lives that Elijah had to come back before all this happened, and we haven't seen him. And Jesus goes on to explain it. He said, what you're saying is true, but you have your chron chronology all wrong. Your timetable's off. Elijah has already appeared, not in person, but in the ministry of John the Baptist. But John the Baptist was killed. He came and did what he was supposed to do. He told the people what he was supposed to tell them, and the people killed him anyway. And Jesus said, and that's what's going to happen to me. That's what verse 13 is. Matthew just didn't write down the, oh. <laughs> then the disciples understood what he was talking, that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. Okay, we get it now. And Jesus said, and that's the way that I'm going to go too. But right now it was time to come down from the mountaintop. In each of our lives, there will be times on the mountaintop. Sometimes the mountains will be taller than another one.
And there will also be times in the valley. And I will tell you that some of the valleys will be lower than others. And while that there is no promise that these two will be equal, there is nothing in the Word of God where Jesus talked to his disciples and he said that your mountaintop experiences will always be equal to your valley experiences. But what he did teach them and the way that he did things was, regardless which of those you're in, I will be there. All through the Word of God, back to the Old Testament, there are promises that God is with us on the mountaintops and He is with us in the valleys. If you go back to the, the book of Psalms, David wrote in Psalm 23 and 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. That's one of those low valleys. For you are with me, your rod, your staff, they comfort me. I believe that mountaintop experiences are different to each one of us. What might seem like a mountaintop experience to me may seem like a valley experience to you. But still, it's those mountaintop experiences that we look back on when we are in the valley. It's those times that we're up here with Jesus and things are great. Those are the things that we hold on to when we get back down to the bottom of the hill. I can better understand Peter's blurting out about building shelters for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah through one particular experience in my life. While it was not the the most comfortable of situations, in fact, it was very far from being the most comfortable of situations, it was a situation where my life, it was a situation in my life where I know I truly saw the hand of God at work. I believe it was truly a mountaintop experience. It doesn't take away from all the other times, but this was truly my version of Peter, James, and John going up to the mountain, top of the mountain for the transfiguration. What was it? It was the time I spent in the Congo last year. I was alone. I knew one person, not just in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, I knew one person in the entire continent of Africa. One person. After traveling almost 10,000 miles one way to get there, I found myself alone. You might say, well, how could that be a mountaintop experience? I'll tell you. I continually saw amazing things happen. I found myself having no choice but to trust God. And He never failed. 
I found myself trusting God honestly because I had no choice. There was nothing I could do about it. I was 10,000 miles away from home. And you just have no choice but to trust in God. But even the, while I was there, the worst of things seemed okay because from the time I got there, I really had no place to go but up because it had been quite a journey to get there. And then two weeks passed. And I find myself not wanting to go home. So in Peter's defense, I can see why when he experienced something as magnificent as the transfiguration of Jesus Christ, and he heard the voice of God. He saw Moses and he saw Elijah. In his defense, I can see why he wanted to build three shelters and just stay there. Because I believe he looked around and said, this is incredible. I'm not really ready for this to end right now. He was scared. He was terrified. I can relate. But he didn't want to go back down the mountain. But one thing is for sure. Once he had had that experience, no one could ever take it away from him. And I honestly believe that through the rest of Peter's life, he fondly recalled that time on the mountaintop when he experienced the voice of God, when he saw Jesus as who he really was. He saw Moses. He saw Elijah. And I believe that that time on the mountaintop was what kept him going sometimes when he got down into the valley. You see, Jesus took Peter, James, and John to the mountaintop with him, but he didn't do it so they could live there forever. I believe he took them only so they could experience something special that would help them deal with the things that would come later in their life. And what Jesus would do for them when they were in the valleys would be much like a, an umbrella, a raincoat, and a towel. The umbrella can be used to keep the rain away from us completely. Raincoat can keep the rain off of us, even though we're surrounded by it, we just don't get wet. And some rain might get through those barriers, and time to time, we might just get wet anyway. And that's when we need a towel. 
And I believe that Jesus provides a similar kind of help in our rainy days of our life, those times in the valley that we equate to a rainy day. Sometimes He keeps the difficulties far away from us completely. We walk through life and there's problems all around and there ain't none of them falling on us. We've kind of got our Holy Ghost umbrella up. Sometimes we're surrounded by difficulties, but we're really not, not affected by them very much. We've kind of got a, a storms of life raincoat. But then there's those times when that rain gets past the umbrella, it gets past the raincoat, and we just get wet. And that's when we need some type of a spiritual towel to help us deal with the problem and the aftermath of that problem. And the thing that all of these things have in common is that God provides them all. And I will assure you that He will always supply at least one. Maybe you don't have the umbrella effect. Maybe you just get kind of pummeled. Maybe you don't even have the raincoat. But if He didn't provide the the umbrella or the raincoat, I promise you, He will give you that towel to help you mop up in the aftermath. How do I know that? Because He will never leave us or forsake us. Well, God protects us from the storms of life in, in different ways sometimes. He also allows both mountaintop experiences and valley experiences. And the things that we learn on the mountaintop are things like He is in control. He is always there. He loves and cares for us. And He can help us deal with the problems that we face in the valleys. I read a quote this past week, by a lady named Tara Sloan. Listen to what she said. What I accomplish on the mountain is nothing more than a direct result, a testimony of what God has done in me in the valley. The valley cultivates me. The mountaintop memories encourage me. Think about Peter, James, and John. The mountaintop memories encourage me, and the desire to experience another inspiring moment with God on the mountaintop compels me to climb higher, even when it is difficult. I told my son when he went to college, I had been writing some things that that I just wanted him to know. And this, I did this over a period of years, probably. And one of the things that I wrote in that was that nothing lasts forever whether it's good or whether it's bad. 
when we're on the mountaintop, take it in. Enjoy it. Get all you can. Because it won't last forever. And then when you get back down to the valley, you can think about being back up on the mountaintop and how wonderful it was to be right there, so close to God. And you can also be assured that that won't last forever either. Because eventually, we'll be back on top of another mountain. I think one of the worst things that can ever happen to a new Christian, or an old Christian, is for somebody to tell them that once you're saved, that all your problems go away. And if somebody told you that, they lied to you. Because how could we believe that if we look back through the Bible and we see time and time again great people of God that experienced horrible things? And that's not negative. That's just to say that we should know that things like that are coming so that when we're on the mountaintop, we just get all we can. We soak in all we can. I believe Peter, James, and John on top of that mountain, they just looked and they saw this glory of Jesus and they heard this voice and they fall down on their face and they're thinking, this is incredible. I don't ever want to leave. But eventually they went back down the mountain. And we today, just like them, cannot stay on the mountaintop indefinitely. But what we learn while we are up there, I promise you, will make it easier to deal with the difficulties we encounter when we're not up there. So after studying this lesson, <coughs> this, lesson this week, Kind of have to take it easy on Peter a little bit. Because he was just like us. When we're on the mountaintop, Lord, just let me stay here forever. Don't ever make me have to go deal with the world again. But reality is that at some point we will have to. And while the good things might not last forever, Neither will the bad things. So wherever you are in your life today, I will tell you, as Paul said, he won't ever leave you. He won't ever forsake you. That goes for the mountaintops. It goes for the valleys as well. God bless you.